I'm going to try to be like the pilot and make up the time in the air. And um, I'll just tell you this, if you get done listening before I get done talking, just feel free to leave. It's fine. I get it. It's all right. We're in a series in the Gospel of John, and, and we've been looking specifically at relationships in the Gospel of John. Uh, what my heart is, is to, is to look in this book and to just dive deeper into the people who uh, not only encountered Jesus, but they experience these transformative relationships with Him. And so this week what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on the invitation that Jesus extends to two people who followed Him. So let's pray together as we begin. Father, as we open Your Word today, open our hearts and minds to see Jesus and what He has come into this world to accomplish. We pray through the Holy Spirit, our Teacher, and through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, um, man, it's like I was visited by Jack Handy this past week because there have been these just deep thoughts boiling through my mind. I'm, I'm thinking about the pandemic and the way that his, the way the pandemic has accelerated the perceived irrelevance of church in the Western world. I mean, the pandemic didn't cause this perceived irrelevance. It just simply made visible a grim reality. It's the, it's the tree that falls over in your yard because of the storm and the hollow core is exposed. And I've been wrestling with this and just it's been boiling in my mind because I've been thinking that in so many churches in America, there really is no meaning, no purpose, no function or mission other than to keep the church, the organization, afloat. I'm not an anthropologist. I've never played one on TV. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn last night, and I wonder what our resident anthropologist would say about this. All that to say, just take this observation for whatever it's worth. I see a connection between purpose and connection. I see a correlation between those two things. I see this symbiotic relationship between becoming and belonging. And so, facing a steady decline over the years in America, churches on the decline, they talk about purpose and connection, but really the focus is on attendance. The prevailing questions are, how do we get people in the pews? Or worse, how do we keep people from vacating the pews? And I just hope that you'll see that what this does is, unfortunately, it creates a feedback loop. Because when you start to focus on that, that starts to drive the decision-making process. And if the focus of the church here in America becomes, what do we need to do to get people in the doors, or what do we need to do to get people from leaving, we're focusing on the wrong things. We're coming up with answers, but they're answers to the wrong questions. Okay, so a few years ago, uh, Beth and I, along with several other couples from church, 
uh, we joined a fraternal organization. Now, lodge rules prevent me from disclosing to you the name of the fraternal organization, but let's just say as a member you could fly like an eagle. We all joined because they had a golf course, and members could play golf for $3. And we thought, oh, we're doing that. Here's the interesting thing. The, the fraternal organization had no expectation outside of pay your yearly dues. That was all they expected. All you had to do to be a member in good standing was pay your yearly dues. And so consequently for us, except for the people that we all joined together, there was no fraternal relationship. None at all. There was no connection with anyone else in that group. The only reason we were there was for $3 golf. So, because they expected so little of us, when that was gone, we were gone. In his book, Letters to the Church, Francis Chan writes, we live in a time when people go to a building on Sunday mornings, attend an hour and 15-minute long service, and call themselves members of the church. He says, does that sound shocking to you? Well, of course not. This is perfectly normal. It's what we grew up with. We all know good Christians go to church, but he asks, have you ever read the New Testament? Do you find anything in Scripture that is even remotely close to the pattern we have created? Do you find anyone who went to church? And then he says, try to imagine Paul and Peter speaking like we do today. So this is the narrative. Paul and Peter are speaking like we hear a lot of people speaking today. Hey, Peter, uh, where are you going to church now? Oh, I, I go to the river. They have great music and I love the kids program. Well, cool. Uh, can I come check out your church next Sunday? I'm not getting much out of my church right now. Oh, totally. Yeah, but I'm not going to be there next Sunday because little Matthew has soccer. So how about the Sunday after that? Oh, sounds good. Oh, oh by the way, do they have a good singles program? Chan says, it's a little comical to think of Peter and Paul having that kind of conversation, yet it's a normal conversation among many Christians today. He says, why? Why is that a normal conversation among many people today? He says, there are so many things wrong with the above conversation, I don't even know where to start. The fact is that we have reduced the sacred mystery of church to a one-hour service, and that is staggering, that we have reduced the sacred mystery of church to a one-hour and 15-minute service. <sighs> Haunting things to consider. Now, before you think I'm standing up here sounding like a grumpy old man, I'm just old. I mean, maybe you came in today and said, what, is this some kind of dialogue between Statler and Waldorf we're hearing here? No. What mission is the Western church calling people to other than to keep the doors of the church open? I mean, what purpose does American Christianity have other than politics and social agenda? 
I mean, what connection are we offering people more than the church version of $3 golf? You know, one of the phrases, in my opinion, that has caused the most damage to American Christianity to church is, we want our church to be known for, and then whatever comes next, if it's a ministry, if it's a program, if it's the way we worship, it's how, whatever it is, how we do something, these are all good things. They are. But when they become ultimate things, they become idols. And we're, we're chasing that, we're chasing the program, we're, we're chasing the ministry, we're chasing the activity, and we're pointing people to the program and to the ministry and to the activity and those things, which are, yes, they're good things, but they become idolatry because they become ultimate things because we confuse that they're not the end, they're the means Anything that we do as a church, if it's a ministry, if it's a program, it's an activity, has to have as its end to make disciples. Or we're once again coming up with really great answers to the wrong questions. I mean, I wonder if it's possible that we've lost our way in the Western church today because we no longer believe it's enough just to call people into formative relationships with Jesus Christ. I mean, to compete in the church marketplace today, and I can't even believe I'm saying those words, to compete in the church marketplace these days, it's simply not enough just to call people to be with. Jesus. But I also think that we're probably not desperate enough to see this as both the problem and the solution. The problem is that we don't see that that's enough, but the solution is calling people into formative relationships with Jesus. You know, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they had no other message They had no other means than making Jesus the end, making Him the point. They had no other message than to come and encounter Jesus and experience Him. Everything that the disciples did was a means to an end for people to fall in love with Jesus. Everything they did. Oh, it just seems we've lost our way on this that we've drifted away from our first love. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm also not a church historian. But I think that you can trace every single church crisis to the same root when something other than Jesus became the point of why the church existed. So, making something other than Jesus the end instead of Jesus, instead of that thing being the means to find Him. So, when we focus on buildings, when we focus on doctrines, and we focus on programs, instead of experiencing and encountering Jesus, the more we chase fool's gold, the more we make our own church irrelevant. Purpose and connection. Have you not figured out that there are many other organizations today who offer purpose and connection? They do. 
I mean, sports teams and travel teams and the math club and spelling bees and various horticultural pursuits, they all offer purpose and meaning and connection. I think we've lost our way because we're chasing instead of calling. We're chasing instead of calling. The hang-up for the modern church in a modern world is the word discipleship. That's the hang-up. Because unfortunately, not just the word which carries a lot of baggage, but the premise of discipleship carries so much baggage. But again, I'm still speaking generally here. What we've done is we've thrown the terminology away with the concept. We've thrown away the baby with the bathwater. Now, next time someone asks you what you do for a living, tell them you're a disciple. And then ask Siri to set a timer for how fast they run away from you. I mean, that's just what it is today. I have a good friend. Some of you know him. His name is Danny Mann. He used to travel a lot doing various church things here and there. And and Danny likes to talk. He really does. Those of you who've been in class with him, you know that he does. And, and so we would get on an airplane and someone would ask him a question, what do you do for a living? If he was in the mood to talk, he would say he was a minister. If he wasn't in the mood to talk, which is a rare occasion, he would say he was an evangelist. Okay. You know, the person would go back to their book. And so these words, evangelist and evangelism and discipleship and disciples, boy, they seem to the world to be relics of everything that's wrong with the church. So how do we restore discipleship? How do we restore, how do we reclaim being a disciple of Jesus as something that people long for, that are seeking for, that they see that this is what they need most desperately in their life? So there's this moment in the Gospel of John that goes by, uh, sometimes overlooked. John the Baptist, whom we looked at last week, he's standing with two of his disciples. I love this. I can see John and his two disciples. We know one of them is named Andrew. I can see them hanging out in front of the 7-Eleven. They're just watching people going by. You know, John's having his usual slurpee of locust and wild honey. They're just like, how you doing? How you doing? And then Jesus walks by. The text says that this is the second time that John has seen Jesus in this context. And it's the second time that John says to those who are willing to hear, here's Jesus. Look at him. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, here's what's intriguing. They're standing there watching them, these two disciples of John. They see Jesus walk by and John says, there is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And do you know what they do? They throw their microwave burritos in the trash can, and they immediately start following Jesus. I mean, literally, they start walking behind Him. Now, have you ever been followed? Now, those of you who have a collection of tinfoil hats at home, you don't need to answer the question. But have you ever been walking down a street and you just know that someone is following you? I was walking through a crowded metro station one day, and I got off the train, and I was meeting somebody, and I'm walking in a hurry, and my spider senses start tingling. Somebody is following me. And I start walking faster, and I can feel that they're walking faster, and I'm, I'm trying to process what's going on, and I'm, I'm doing exactly what my mom taught me to do. Ignore, press ahead. Ignore, press ahead. 
but they're following me and I could feel them getting close to me and then I could hear above the din, they're saying, sir, 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 louder and louder. And so I'm getting ready to turn around and refuse the flower or the flyer or say, I'm not signing your petition. But can you imagine me in that moment turning around and saying, yes, my child, what is it that you seek? And the person who had been following me is holding up a wad of money to me. I said, okay, where do you want me to sign? And they said, you dropped this. Oh, thanks. It's such an interesting moment to me in this text where John says this, and these two people, they start following Jesus. And let's let's look in our Bibles here in John chapter 1. What an incredible verse this is. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? This is the kind of moment in the text. Boy, if I had a prayer this morning, it would be that that this simple phrase does the same thing in your heart that it's doing in mine. To just know that Jesus sees me. That He sees me. That, That He sees me for who I am, the good, the bad, the ugly. That He sees me. And that he doesn't walk away from what he sees. But yet his question is one of invitation. What are you seeking? And boy, this is where my heart is right now because the disciples of John who are following him, you you see what they, they, they say? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Think about that. They have this moment with Jesus of encountering Him, and Jesus says, what are you seeking? And what they're seeking is an experience with Him. We just want to be with you. This is the heart that my song, this is the song that my heart is singing right now. That I just want to know that Jesus is seeing me. He is looking at me. And when He asks, Randy, what do you really want? That my answer is nothing more than, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. That's all. It's enough. This is one of the greatest, often ignored invitations in Scripture where Jesus says to them, come and see. You know, when they ask, where are you staying? They're not wanting to go see his room you know, to listen to his collection of David LPs, you know, his, his Samson and Gideon trading cards to check out that poster of Deborah on the wall, the superhero judges of Israel. They want to be with him. They've heard two times, this is the Lamb of God, and that's all they want to do is be with him. I think it means something when we read in the Bible how Jesus calls those who followed Him to follow Him. I think that means something, that that's His call. And I I thought this was remarkable. 
In the Gospel of John alone, the word disciple or disciples occurs 80 times. Now, to put this into context, the word love only appears about 57 times, which is remarkable because John is the disciple known as the disciple of love. And yet over and over and over and over, this word comes up, and we'll explore that a little more next week. I'm grateful for your patience. I'm almost done. I really am. We're going to stop here. I want to show you three quick things. You see, because it's in the Gospel of John that Jesus defines what it means to be a disciple. What it means to be a disciple. Let's look at three right quick. In John 8.35, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think we've made it too complicated. I think we've made it more complicated than it should be. As as Larry even said this morning, Jesus equips His disciples to be without Him by saying, go and make disciples, oh, and I'll still be with you. Go and make disciples. Let me talk about our church for one second. Right now, we're focused on helping people find us and giving people purpose and Giving, keeping people connected, but we have no reason for people to find us unless we're going to be serious about making disciples. And we have no purpose to give people other than becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, being in a transforming, formative relationship with Him, and we have no connection other than $3 golf that we can offer people if this is not what we are going to be about as a church. Isn't it enough for those who have experienced and encountered Jesus to invite others to come be with people who have encountered and experienced Jesus? There's this great moment, I use the word great in a really interesting way in John chapter 6 when a bunch of disciples fled from Jesus. They said, nope, can't handle it. And Jesus turns to the twelve and says, are you going to go too? And our geared friend, Simon Peter, whom we all know, is really hesitant to speak up. He's really bashful about speaking his mind. He's kind of like Larry. He looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and says, Lord, where else are we going to go? When we get there, We're right where we need to be. And we are right where our city needs us to be. That only Jesus, only Jesus is where we need to go. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you see us. And you call us to nothing more or less than to be with You. 
so that the love you have for us is what pushes us and drives us forward. So I pray now that the Holy Spirit would be in our hearts, that it would be confirming this truth in us of what our hearts so desperately long and need is to abide in you, is to love like you, and watch as you bear fruit in us. And we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand together and share in one last song. And if you would like someone to pray with you, our elders will be up front. They'll be in the breaks. If you want to respond and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior this morning, oh, don't let the moment pass as we share together.